Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman. And I don't know if this will be a series or what this will evolve into, but this, I guess this is just kind of a standalone episode. But what we want to talk about is, I suppose, doing evangelism and apologetics in today's world, in today's you know climate, this kind of post-Christian, uh, anti-Christian, uh, to use Aaron Wren's terms, negative world. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, and obviously some of you listening, you know, know me personally, know Dan personally. Uh, you know, I'm I'm from Minnesota, been living in Fargo, North Dakota for the last eight years, but I just moved down to Kansas City to work on my PhD in systematic theology at Midwestern Seminary. And and Dan, you know, he lives he just lives about forty minutes just west in Lawrence, Kansas, just south of Lawrence, Kansas. So. We got this. I mean, that was part of the reason why I decided to come down to Kansas City to work on my PhD residentially because, you know, Dan's in my backyard then. And we get this really cool opportunity right now to do ministry together, you know, both evangelists with Ambassadors of Christ. Dan is the national director of Ambassadors of Christ right now. And we get to kind of, we get to do evangelism together. And that, you know, if anybody does evangelism, you know that having a partner in crime to do evangelism with is just, it makes the world of a difference. You know, there's, it's biblical two by two. Jesus sent them out two by two. So in efforts to be evangelistic, it's really, really helpful to have somebody that's doing it with you side by side with you, laboring in it with you. Uh, you could say experimenting with different methodologies with you, thinking about it with you, talking about it with you, encouraging you in it. And so we get this really cool opportunity right now to, to, do evangelism together, um, and and we kind of want to just bring you into what we're doing right now, into the discussions that we've been having about evangelism, um, and how we're kind of going about it, particularly at KU's campus, you know, the Jayhawks, uh, in Lawrence, which is known to be a very progressive and liberal, you know, place, and a place that's really actually hard soil for evangelism and apologetics and just Christian ministry in general. And so we're, we've been trying to do that uh, this fall. And again, we want to bring you into the discussion that Dan and I have been having and kind of the things that we've been doing. But Dan, why don't you just kind of maybe enlighten the listeners on this vision that you've had for, for really decades about... Mm-hmm. This type of evangelism. Yeah, yeah this yeah. type of evangelism that we're trying to do. Yeah. Wow, there's a lot to be thought about. But so when I moved here 25 years ago, we I moved my whole family in, parachuted in, one acquaintance. Don't know if I'd do that again, but it was <laughs> yeah. at the time seemed the right thing before the Lord, and we did it. And here we are. We lived a life here. Um, yeah, it's like plowing concrete in a certain way. But for years, um, I've done all sorts of different types of evangelism. To be really honest with you, and um, but my burden is always like, how do you get to the actual unbeliever and actually have uh, communicate with them the gospel. Yeah, not just like preach at them the words, but like actually communicate with them. Yeah, and um, uh, I had a real good run prior to COVID. COVID kind of shut us down. I wonder if it'll ever return. But we would go in, and I say we because I would take guys with me. But we would go into like the jail, the county jail, for I think twenty years, virtually mm-hmm. every week. And while the 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 it was interesting because the jail would kind of 
it was a program directed jail where they all sorts of different people from the outside come in and do programs. It's mm-hmm. kind of how it is. It's the it's a it's a it's a philosophy. But we would go there and we would come in every week and they would build this as they would actually call it Pastor Dan's Bible study, which is interesting because I'm not a pastor. And technically we open up the Bible every week, but it's not a Bible study per se. But what we would do is we created a setting where guys could pile in a room and sometimes there were, you know, five or six, sometimes as many as eighteen or twenty. And they could ask us anything they wanted. Yeah. And we would address it. And we would take it and run down this road and end up at the gospel. And the guys that went with me said, man, you like, you're a one-trick pony. You always end up the same place. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know? And so we could have that whole discussion at some point too, Sam. But it has to do with apologetics. And you would find me in a practical way up leaning more into what some people might know as presuppositional apologetics. And mm-hmm. it's not like I formally studied presuppositional apologetics. It's just kind of how I do things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I loved it. I loved the fact that you could go every week. It wasn't, quote, unquote, a full jail ministry, but I could be with a bunch of guys that are guys that live on the streets. Some of them were university guys getting in trouble, everyday guys. Uh, and they could ask you anything they wanted, and you had this really cool setting to articulate it. And I said, man, I could do this all the time. I could do it every day, anywhere that I could do it. And so I did some of this on the campus over the years where I would be invited in by different ministries come in but you always had to kind of be invited in they would have a setting in a dorm or some kind of setting they'd invite you and you could be on a panel discussion and you could answer questions and articulate but i still carried this burden for all these years like how do we just like go on the campus and get to people yeah now you could go up individually and talk to people i've done that in life too and there's a place to do that and people have done surveys and that sort of thing but i but i always envisioned this setting like some of you might be familiar with this. You can go on YouTube and you find guys that do what they they call it's it's a frame or a box. I'll draw a box and call it open air preaching. Yeah. Okay. Just call it that. People call it that. But somebody would stand up, let's say, on a, the steps in front of some public building in a campus, and different people have done it different ways. They carry a sign or they carry a bullhorn and they start preaching to people, or you know, and. I was attracted to the fact that these guys coming in, first of all, they certainly had guts. You know, They had courage to do mm-hmm. what they did. Um, and they would actually communicate with a whole group of people that normally you couldn't get to. Because so much of our evangelism is kind of trying to get people to come to us, Yeah, if you think about it. Again, not this isn't a critique of pro-con. I'm just saying it's the way it is. We, we try to set up this really cool setting or bring in some quote-unquote apologist and try to get people to come listen. And I think there's real value in that, but man, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of money. There's one ministry I know of, you know, they spent $2 million on a pool, you know, and they, they get kids every summer to come to this camp and a pool. And I, I praise the Lord, they got a pool and all these kids come and they hear the gospel. But but I'm thinking, man, is that really what we have to do in the world? Right. Like, how do we get to the unbeliever? That's, that's I'm just telling you, it's a burden. So I've yep. always been about that. And then I saw the open air and I thought, boy, they're getting a bunch of people. But my, my conflict personally, this is, I'm not critiquing the, any of those men. They need to do whatever God wants them to do. Yeah. But you, if you watch it and you listen to it, and you saw some of this happen recently, Sam, it seems like... Yeah. So I wonder if people are really listening is my question. You right. know, do they really hear, when I say hear, like in the truest sense of the, hear the argument, the discussion. Yeah. And I was thinking about a podcast we recently listened to by, N, is it Andy? Andy Wilson. Andy Wilson, uh, Doug Wilson's son. Yeah, Stories Are Soul Food. There it is. You know a lot about that. But he was talking about this idea of obliged to belief. Like there's a way that we are to communicate with people that they sort of can't back out, like the, the the truth hits them between the eyes, and they really they're obliged to believe. And if they don't believe, it's it's moral. It's like you know their eyes haven't been opened, and morally they just choose to reject God. Yeah. But 
the way that you've been able to communicate with them in such a way to the point that they realize, if you will, they're caught. Mm-hmm. Now, they could still argue with you, but they're caught. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of evangelism. I'm not sure people are caught. I don't think they understand. And, you've, and, and Sam and I have had, you and I have had hours of these conversations, even bantering with each other. Like, like I want to talk about the reality of sin, and it puts us in a very difficult position with God, meaning judgment, right? I'm not mm-hmm. afraid of talking about the concept of that truth, but people need, that's that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. They need to know the gospel, this great news on the other side of the reality of the diagnosis. You know? Right. But I don't know if people really hear what we're saying. Right. And I want to get to that because, for example, this it gets into what's called presuppositional apologetics. I'm not trying to be technical with anybody, but think about this. We have people, this would be a perfect example, marching in our streets with rainbow flags dressed up gross, mm-hmm. preaching for something, and it's actually, in their mind, just. It's justice. Now, as a Christian, I'd say, no, 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 you really don't understand justice, but they think it's just. The abortion debate is about... You know, a woman saying, I have I have these rights. Now, I hope somebody doesn't hear what I'm not saying. They're confused on that because I do believe in rights, and I do believe people have human dignity and rights, but they're sacred. They come from God, and God needs to define those. Mm-hmm. And what happens is man takes those and redefines them. And this goes back to a discussion, another discussion that's going on. Aaron Renz had this discussion about this negative world. Uh, with that, there's been this recent little conference. Again, Canon Press, you can check it out there with Doug Wilson, Negative World. And uh, uh, Joe Rigney talks about the what C.S. Lewis used to call the Tao. I think he pronounces it Tao, but it's T-A-O. It's in the abolition of man. Fundamental thing is this. I live in a real world. That's what I'm always saying. Mm-hmm. Where justice is real and everybody knows it. Mm. Where there's moral things real, there's an objective morality. I can walk in a room and everybody in that room, they could, they might argue it now, but everybody in the room knows torturing a baby for fun is wrong. Everybody actually knows that because it's wired right into the human soul. And this is presuppositional on what you need to get to. So when I want to talk about judgment with people, I want them, I want, I, I want to enter the justice discussion, and then I want to show them that they want justice. In certain areas, mm-hmm. right? Right. They want to redefine it so they don't have to have justice in areas that they want to have autonomous, sinful freedom in. Right. But they actually do want justice. And I want to show them that. And then I want to press it. Where does that come from? Yep. How do you even know this distinction in your mind that certain things are just and unjust? How do you know a crooked stick is C.S. Lewis? I think that was his example. Yep. But, because there has to be a straight stick. And what's the straight stick? It can't be my government. No, nope. that's been screwed up. It can't be me. It can't be you. What is it? Well, the straight six God, and this is the idea of of the in the abolition of man. C.S. Lewis was talking about the Tao or Tao, however you want to pronounce it. Basically, saying there's this underlying reality of the world we live in that God's wired it right in. And I don't care what religion, what philosophy you go to, you can't deny it. Mm-hmm. It's there, and so I want to expose people to that. So I, t- tying all that together, I hope I'm not just rambling. I thought, what would it look like to go into the open air, mm-hmm. using that term, and having this public conversation with people where you can actually articulate those kinds of things and have an honest conversation with people where they ask questions and you you move them to think about these things. Yeah. And the intrigue I had was the picture in my mind. I have a lot of pictures in my mind, but would be um, similar to like even Paul and the Areopagus. You think of the Areopagus, okay, we, again, there's probably stuff I don't understand about it, but it's definitely some scholarly university kind of setting. These philosophers would gather, and they would have these arguments and talk. And I'm like, well, why can't we go into that setting, which is the classic university, the open public square, and have this conversation? Yep. 
Now, I realize it's changing because there's an intolerance in this progressive, narrow view that says you can't say certain things. But again, there, we should be able to create a setting is what I had hoped for, where we could have a public discourse. Yep. And the Areopagus intrigues me because in a sense you could say, oh, there's Epicurean philosophers there, there's Stoic philosophers there, there's uh, Caesar worshipers there who you know believe in the deity of Rome and, and Caesar Augustus. There's uh, Jewish scholars there. There's Christian scholars there, right? And maybe it's fascinating. Discussion. And they're all in one setting, and they're arguing. And I realize sometimes it goes south, and Paul got run out of town, and that possibly could happen. But couldn't we create a setting where all of that was happening? And in the middle of that, the reason I think it's a genius is because we have the truth. And we can show everybody at the end of the day that the answer to all this, obviously, is the Logos. It's, it's Christ. Yeah. And it really is. Yeah. On a m multiple levels, you can come at this thing. And and so I don't know if I'm rambling, Sam, no, but I've wanted to create great. a setting, and I've wanted to do it for years. And I've asked so many people, and I loved how you opened this podcast. You know, Again, we didn't have perfect notes on this. But the burden I've had, I've been here for a couple of decades, and I've been invited to do a lot. I've had some really cool guys I've done stuff with. But hardly anybody, hardly, nobody would do this with me. Yeah. And I really didn't want to do it alone. Right. No Part of does. it's my own, you could say, even insecurity. I'm like, there's some stuff I can't even answer. I'm not a walking encyclopedia. Man, sure. I'd love to have two or three guys that are thoughtful about this, yeah. that we could play off each other and interact and 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 actually create this setting. So we've been talking about it for a while. We got a late start this fall because of a variety of life issues that we couldn't do. But we, we, we went ahead and went up on the campus this fall, did a little reconnaissance, kind of figured out some areas that might work. And we've been kind of playing with it and doing it. Yeah, where people are gathering, and it's not a big. We don't have this big hit yet, or anything like that. But the last week, and it's starting to get cold now, and it's a little windy, and it's getting kind of crazy. So we probably won't be able to do it like out in the public outside. Right, because we've been outside, outside here. And we're doing this podcast early in November, so I mean, weather's changing. But but the last one we had was just remarkable. Yeah, and it was like, up. and it was like, yeah, it it was like the, uh, what's the word you want to use? It was my example. It was like that's what I've envisioned. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that's why I'm, I've been so excited. I've told numerous people, like, that's what I've been envisioning. I think that can actually happen. No, I know it's not always going to be like that. But we were talking it about... It happened that time, though. That, it's like Sam and I were talking, we're outdoorsmen. You know, we like to hunt fish. And there's these times you go and you get the right lure and the temperature's right and everything's right. And it happens. Yep, you catch you go, the big fish. I catch, I know how to catch fish. Yeah. Now, you go other times and the fish aren't biting and something's off. That could still happen, but you know it can work. Yeah. That's the point that happened here. And so something happened that day that I've been dreaming about for decades, Sam. I mean, he knows. I mean, I just have almost a, a love affection about this because it was so cool to have a 62-year-old guy and a 26-year-old guy. That was even part of the dynamic. It's so interesting. It was so cool. And we have this banner. I know we're just doing a podcast right now. Someday maybe we'll be able to, you know, what do you do, uh, uh, show these on video. But we have this banner. It's about six foot tall. And we, we put it up there. It's one of these you like pull out and it sits on a stand. Yeah, it's a retractable banner. Retractable, there it is. And it says at the top of it, let's dialogue. And That's it's, all it says. And it's got this like this cool black and white, you know, one of these pencil looking sketches of the Areopagus. Of Paul at the Areopagus. And all these guys, some sitting around leaning on their hands and others standing up and others sitting back and listening. And it's like, yeah, let's do this. Yep. And so we've been putting this banner up. We still have to figure out the wind on that a little bit. Sometimes here in Kansas, it's, the wind's preventing it. But that day was stellar. We're right in front of a bus stop, in front of a big public building that where people yep. come in, and I mean like hundreds of people. Tons of traffic. And, Sunny, um, calm. And we'd start having this conversation with people. Yep. 
you know, some Christians at first, some of our friends showed up. We just started talking publicly. We should be able to have this conversation, and people are asking questions, and yep. people are listening. And we went, this this thing ended up by going that day. This, again, was the big, you know, home run, uh, three and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't stop talking for three and a half three hours. Three and a half hours. And we had people sitting around. I had inter- I was totally intrigued. Like, even behind us, Sam, I'm sure you saw there were international people. Yep. You could tell they probably L- were grad students, PhD students, you know, and they're sitting there listening yep. for, for like half hour, 45 minutes yep. listening. You don't you have no idea what God's doing in that. Yep. And it's not like we're just, I, I don't want to say we weren't preaching because we were, but we were answering questions. We are articulately showing this and pointing it back to the gospel and right. pointing it back to us. We kept going back there. We kept saying, this is the articulate view. This is the understanding. This is, yep. you know. And so at any given moment, you might show up five minutes there, and you wouldn't specifically in that five minutes hear about the cross and Christ per se, but that discussion led there. Yeah, and if and, you were there for 15 or 20 minutes, you would have. Yeah, we kept trying to cycle yep. back around. and. And so there's an art to that. We've got a lot to learn yep. in that, too. And we trust in the province of God and all yeah, that, Yeah, too. we work in all that. But it was fascinating, because here's the fascinating thing. If I could say the big win, by the time we were done, this is what was fascinating. We had four or five, maybe six of our uh, college students that know us, that yeah. we associate with. And uh, they had been there all that time. And, and people were getting maybe a little tired of even standing. They started sitting down there in the shade around us, yeah. right on the concrete. It was really a cool setting. If you imagine a setting and bus in front of us, and they're all going into this you know, college building and all these people are gathering around and kind of listening and sitting and, and they start sitting down around us because, you know, we'd been sitting a long time. And finally, Sam and I even sit down on a couple concrete benches there. We just keep talking though. We're still talking just like we were before. But what was fascinating is there were at least four different gals, women yeah. who ended up by coming over to us. One of them was one that went to a class and came back, by the way, mm. that one girl. Um, yep. But they were not associates. Bailey. Bailey, yep. It wasn't like they were associates. It wasn't like they knew each other. They literally ended up by coming over and sitting down with our group and sitting with us. Sitting. Non-Christians. You could tell. They were unbelievers and asking us questions. The one gal that started off, she'd probably been asking questions 45 minutes or an hour. Oh, yeah. Elizabeth. She was off maybe 20 feet. And you could tell she was very... You know, guarded, cautious, cautious, guarded. Even just her demeanor, who she was, yep. it was very interesting. Uh, she's she's uh, spent a number. Yeah, hey, I don't want to talk talk about who she was, but anyway, she she's a little bit older. She's not your typical eighteen or nineteen year old coming to college. She'd right. already had a, had a professional life, and now she's in yep. school. And she had a lot of questions, good questions. She kind of stood off, let's say, you know, fifteen to twenty feet. Yeah. Well, over time, all of a sudden, she was twelve feet. Right. Well, and we had cameras set up. Yeah, filming this, yeah. and hopefully, you know, I'll get some of the footage up. Yeah, uh, but she was, I think, I'm assuming she was intentionally standing outside of the. Yeah, that could be the view you could of the camera. She was too. very cautious. Yep. Then she moves in. Now she's at ten or twelve feet. Yeah. And then she's at eight feet, and by the time she's done, she's literally sitting three feet from my feet, sitting cross-legged, sitting cross-legged underneath, underneath you, unbeliever. And what was so remarkable to me was this very thing because so much of the open air, and again, I'm not critiquing the men that do it; they should they do it. But it, it looks like this confrontation. Yeah. And people are afraid and people will fight and argue. Right. And I realize they're preaching the gospel. And there's, again, I'm not here to critique all that. But it's not what I wanted to create. I don't mind open publicly right. speaking. And I, sooner or later, when we talk about truth, there's going to be somebody that doesn't like it. But we want to articulate in such a way. And it goes to um, this idea of, again, Andy Wilson was talking about this in that one podcast, Soul Food. He was talking about um, uh, pathos, ethos, and logos. Mm-hmm. And we so camp on Logos, we miss pathos and ethos. Mm-hmm. And yet pathos seems to be the big doorway for people to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. Pathos simply means like 
emotional, subjective, who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And when we were honoring their questions and treating them kindly and with dignity while saying, okay, but here's where I would disagree with you, we would, I mean, we would do that. They were totally intrigued to the point. We had one woman come up. She couldn't stay. You remember that? She said, I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. I would love, what are you guys talking about? We said, you know, meaning, purpose, the reality of God, the reality of Christ, these big questions of life. We want to interact with people about them. Oh, I would love to talk to you guys. Yep. And so we were there in the open air, and the setting we set actually attracted people is the intriguing thing to me. It did. By the time we done, we had this thing. And again, you know, theologically, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, you know, even Sam, before I even got a chance to join him, we, be- we believe God does this work. And we're at the end of the day, we're looking for his sheep. Yeah. I don't really I mean, want to fight with John, John 10. No, I'm not, he has a sheep and they'll hear his voice. And, and so come. you got to wonder about these gals, not that they right there received Christ or anything like that, but like, are they Jesus' sheep? I mean, they literally came and sat at our feet. Well, yeah, you didn't mention these, these two girls that, you know, you had Elizabeth, that one girl that yeah. came eventually and sat underneath. Yeah. You had this other girl, Bailey, came back, sat yeah. right with us. Yeah, other. talk about Gigi. She's but, over there. But Gigi and Tatiana, these other, these other two girls, I mean... Gigi said, hey, I've been sitting over there. She, I, I'd seen oh, yeah, her. I'd seen it. Yeah. She was over there, same thing, probably 25, 30 feet. Listening. Listening. She's, I've been listening to you guys, and I can't hear everything you're saying, so I want to come over here. You could tell she was a little sheepish about coming over. But she said, I didn't grow up at... Well, well, how'd she say it? They they just sat down cross-legged right in front of us. Right. And she said, I don't know anything And about I asked them, well, yeah, well, this is what we're doing. We're talking about yeah. spiritual things. Do you guys have any questions about these things? And she goes, I don't really have any questions. I don't know anything about religion. I just love hearing about it and yep. hearing you guys talk about it. Sweet. And so we have people that literally wanted to hear this. This was, was my point. And it was just this, I could cry right now almost. I'm so emotional about it. Like, this is what I've dreamed of for years. I'm like, you can. I think you can do this. Well, I realize sooner or later we're going to get some questions and there's going to be things that people don't like, right? You're going to get, you're bound to get that. But I think there's a way for, at least on our end, to do the best we can on our end. And it's going to draw Jesus' sheep or those who really want to engage. Yeah. And we saw it. Yeah. And and, 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 and this is another cool thing because Dan and I, we've been, we've been talking, we've been scheming, planning, have a whiteboard, drawing things out. You know, we're, we're really, really, really trying to be in in the best sense of the word tactical about how we do this. Yeah. Even how we answer. We've talked about how we answer questions, questions, right? You know, the sexuality questions, trans questions, those are going to come up. Abortion, all that. How how do we honestly answer those? Right. And so, you know, Dan already kind of said it like, we don't want just people to turn us off instantly because they have this connotation of, right. oh, these guys are these these types of guys who just yell at us through a, a mm-hmm. microphone or through you know a megaphone or whatever. Yep. So we know that coming into this that we want to not have that be the connotation. Right. And we've really been putting a lot of prayer and thought into it. Right. A lot of discussion, and we've been you know we we know that we could poke the bear. We know that we could go at the heart of KU and be provocative and gra- gather a crowd and get and just yep. have it be, you know. Yep. We could do a Stephen Crowder thing where we sit at a table and say, you know, change my mind, da 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 da. Yep, we could do that. And, and we could do that. And, and, and it might be a place we it, have to. Yep. yep. And sometimes that's what you got to do. And, you know, right. God could use it. Yep. But we, we didn't want to do that. We wanted to, yeah, create a, a, an atmosphere where a civil, you know, civilized conversation could take place. And even if people disagree with the message that we're preaching, the gospel, like they're not, they're not screaming at us and, and fuming. And it's not just this big hurrah and big yeah. fight. And you always say this dog and pony show. That's what I was using. Yeah, yeah. I don't want a dog and pony show. So 
we've been really intentional about it. And yeah. even this banner that we have, like we could get a banner and put a provocative image on it or a provocative statement on it. Yep. Fine. We gather a crowd. Like we put, you know, abortion is murder on a sign with a with a gross picture of a of a dead baby, and we could gather a crowd in a yep. second. Yep. And and there's a place for that. Yeah. And people do that. And I th- and I and I think they should. Yeah. And we're not here to critique yep. that. That's not the goal, right? Right. We're just we have a different. We're trying know, for something different. We're trying for something different. So this even this banner that we have, it's ambiguous. It's vague. Let's yeah. dialogue. Well, about what? Yeah, and that's, that's what the gals are asking. That's like, what part do you guys of the. Pro- about? That's part of the the, the tactic. Like yeah. we want people to get close enough to us to go. What are you guys do- dialoguing about? And yeah. ask us a question. Yeah. yeah. And they're not they're not coming in already charged up. Right. Because they actually really don't know what we're here to do. Right. Now and then there's also this ambiguous picture. These guys don't have a category. These this is a post Christian world. Like yeah. Gen Z, they the numbers are out. Like they're just not religious. Yeah. Well, you use the word post Christian. Yeah. 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 They don't know about the Bible, and they they certainly maybe a really Christianized kid can maybe look at that picture and go, you know what? I re- I've read Acts. I've read Acts 17. That kind of looks like Paul at the Areopagus. Yeah. Like these these kids. They don't have that. They don't even know. What, they don't even know what's they don't going know on. Any of it. They just see a picture of it's an ancient looking picture of guys talking. Of guys talking. Yep. And it That's and good. you know there's a dialogue going yeah. on, and there's different types of people there. Yep. So, that was all, that's all intentional, and again we're not. Don't hear what we're not saying again. Like, you guys, if you listen to if you know me, like, I'm a Calvinist. Like, I. <laughs> I did a whole series on that already in this podcast. Like, I believe that God is absolutely sovereign in salvation, that he has his sheep and he will save them. Yep. So it's not as though like, oh, if we do the perfect methodology, have the perfect sign, yep. do all these things perfectly, that's going to somehow save these people. No. But there, there is still this reality of Paul saying, hey, I, I've become all things to all people that I might save some. Yep. And we're, we're holding that in, in this kind of an interesting tension of like, mm-hmm. but we still have a responsibility to, to, you know, be salt to the earth, a light on a hill, speed, everything that we say should be seasoned with salt, be gracious and patient. Like all these things are still yep. working though. And like, we can't just show up and just start yelling at people and think, oh, we're, you know, we're being so godly. Yeah. So that's all going on. And, and again, like we have these ideas, like we think this could work. We think this could work. We kind of think like, oh man, it's KU. They're pretty progressive and liberal. It could just blow up, and people could just yell at us. But it didn't, and it worked. And we had three. Remember, we had three different students. Two of them were non-believers, I'm pretty yep. sure, and one of them was a was a Christian. Yep. Who said, "Hey, I love what you guys are doing. Yep. I've seen people here that it's just a it's just yelling and screaming yep. and and people don't like it yep. and and." There's none of this here, and yeah. we. This is really cool. So I asked the one gal that I said, "So you see this?" She says, "Yeah." I yeah. said, "Well, we've been trying to do that because that Sam goes as you've been talking. I've been thinking, I would want to say this because we. I say this publicly. Um, we tell people. Um, well, I don't say all this exactly publicly, but in general, I am. I actually I've been saying it to you guys again as we formulated this over the last number of months. Yeah, I'm thinking about it for years, but it's kind of like you start thinking about how do I talk about this? Yeah, I think of two apologetics. If I could use that, yep. two defenses, right? And the one defense is my Christian defense. Yeah, it's like no, I I actually believe 
that we have the answers. Yep. There's not even a doubt in my mind. Right. Okay. So that's that's a given. But the second defense is, I've already mentioned it in this podcast, but like if any place in the world this should happen, it's the university. You know, a, a vast majority, you know, I've heard different numbers, but it's, it's certainly over 120 of the original 130 universities started <laughs> with Christian theology. Yeah. It's crazy. Not because it was folklore religion, because it actually had the answers of the world. Right. Unity, diversity. How do you have all these these diverse fields of study, but bring them together in one circle of knowledge? Right. Well, we're not getting into that all here today, but it's Christianity that does that. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating. It brings together the universals and the particulars or the transcendent and the imminent. And there's different ways to talk about that, but right. it's all together in one place. Right. It's a unified whole, and we believe that. Right. And it comes together, and the ancient Greeks called it the Logos, which is fascinating. Yep. Because our Jesus... Right is is the logos, yep. and we could have that whole discussion. So, so part of this is to let people know, like, we should be able to have this conversation yeah. and talk about these things. We have something to say. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is that happened, and we had students say that. Now, with that said, so a number, ups, I don't know what it was. Now, over half a dozen years ago, I was invited by a ministry to do this up on on in, in on a public place on the university, and. I so enjoyed it, but but it kind of like never happened again. It yeah. only happened a couple times, and it was still cool. But but I always remembered those moments, thinking someday I want to do this again. That's why you being yeah. here now, Sam, and I've told you you've heard this story a million times. But same thing, I had people come up to me afterwards and say, "Listen, I, I had one guy I'll never forget. He said I'm a fifth year senior, and he said I actually disagree in a number of your conclusions." But I so love what you're doing here. Yeah. This I wish that had, this had been happening all my all these years right. of experience at university. I said exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Just thinking people should be able to come together and wrestle with these things. Right. And my whole point is there should be this uh, going back to uh, I remember the time Oz Guinness actually came to the University of Kansas and he talked about this publicly. He said there should be robust debate. It was his the topic of his his talk was like there should be the open public square and we should be able to come to the table yep. and put this on the table. And I go, yeah, everybody. And what I'm saying in that is not because I'm the universalist. Anybody gets around me like I'm a pretty fundamental. <laughs> Some would call me a fundamentalist. I'm like, I'm a Bible guy. I'm a gospel guy. <laughs> I just actually believe the genius behind it that Os Guinness was even suggesting. And that is the only thing that can stop the gospel is somebody saying you can't speak it. Think about it. It's it's the power of God for salvation. Exactly. It's going to have an influence. So put it on the table with every other ideology. And I'm fine with win. that. Give me the open public square to put it on the table. Because I've realized if you think about it strategically, and I don't want to get too far down into a dark cosmic conspiracy, but I'm convinced that's sort of what happens if you look at the world history, is, is Satan wants to silence the gospel. Of course. And there's different strategies he's done to silence it, like Bible even, burning. Bible burning. We're to cut off your head. Uh, oppression of the former, so, uh, former Soviet Union. I saw it there. There was this like, we're going to keep you from speaking. Well, and this is the current. Uh, what seems to be the current tactic of Satan right now is yes. to make words violence. Yeah, Vi words are violence and connotations. We've talked yep. about that. Uh, we you got to be careful what words you use because even then it gets it gets misconstrued. The very thing we're talking about. So anyway, with all that said, all all I'm saying is like, um, like I loved that time when Os Guinness came. He actually the university and spoke, and he he. he it was a genius. His point was, if any place in the world there should be the open public square and robust debate, it should be in the university. Yep. And that's what I'm camping on. I'm going, yeah, we should do this. And what we're finding, 
as we found there. And we found a few other things. We had a few other weeks that weren't as stellar as this week, but it was still cool. Um, people do want that. They do. People are asking questions. I, in fact, one of, another one of these ones, and maybe it's a little too anecdotal because I'm not doing a vast study survey like some of the guys have, you know, in their podcasts and stuff. But just in my own experience of life, I remember literally this would be one of those moments. It was a young gal, you could tell college age, at a store, and I, you know, nobody else was in line, and I was there, and I was writing a check. I wouldn't even use a credit card, I was writing a check, which I don't do much anymore. But I even looked at her, I said, people probably don't even write checks anymore, do they? Like, you know, I'm an old guy, blah, 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 blah. And it's just natural for me to try to turn those conversations and stuff. I don't know. It's just me if you get around me. And I'm like, you know, I guess I'm getting to be an older guy, and, you know, death's going to be soon soon enough. And I got talking to her about life and death. Yeah. And I said, you ever think about that? This is what was remarkable. me. She, I said, you ever think about life and death, like what happens when somebody dies? And she, she literally said she was probably 20 years old. I think about it all the time. But they tell us it's not something you're supposed to talk about or ask questions about. She literally said that to me. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, yeah, isn't it interesting? The most fundamental questions in life, life, purpose, identity, what happens when somebody dies, it's in, it's in the mind of everybody and you're being told not to talk about mm-hmm. it. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And in that setting, I ended up by telling her, you know, about the gospel a little bit and mm-hmm. go find a Bible and read it and whatever. But the point of that is, is I really do think that's true. Yeah. I think people actually do, and in particular, obviously, right, Jesus is a sheep, right? And so um, there's just a part of me that says we need to go out and find them. We need to go out and get them. And when we preach the gospel, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to bring judgment to people, you know, Second Corinthians 2. Death to death. Death to death. They're going to hate it or they're going to love it. Life to life. And, and who's equal to such a task? Yeah. And I'm like... I realize there's going to be again. What I again, I wouldn't want somebody to don't hear what we're not saying. We've right. used that a number of times. Um, I realize that at some point when you speak the truth, because I understand the truth. Scripture says Jesus said they're going to, you know, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Yeah, I realize they will. Yeah. I real, I'm not trying to totally um, avert that because it's that's a given. Yep. But I don't want a connotation or our. Um, methodology to get in the way right. if it doesn't need to. Right. And so, you know, Sam, I see on your desk right now, you're studying a little bit about Schaefer and Francis yeah. Schaefer always intrigued me. I mean, I think it's fascinating. You end up in Switzerland. There's a lot to him, a lot probably I don't even totally know, but I've read a lot of his stuff. And people showed up to interact with, to hang out with the guy. Non-Christians, like, we want to talk. Yeah. And in a sense, we're doing a similar thing and trying to do it in a little more of a public setting, like we're going out and trying to find people. I, I, you know, I have a little farmstead here south of Lawrence, and people can come out there anytime they want. But it's a little different, you know. It's like people aren't traveling around Lawrence, Kansas, because it's beautiful and they want to hang out at some lodge on the side Switzerland's of the Switzerland's a little different. Switzerland would have been pretty cool. I could have loved that, man. That would have been awesome. But you get my point. The thing is, is I think there's a way to articulate and describe, uh, discuss stuff with people. So we're going to keep trying this, right? We, yeah. We've talked to other things. We've talked about getting some really good coffee as it gets cold and yeah. putting coffee out and finding places in different buildings, the union, other kinds of places right. where you would, same thing, put the banners up, put the signs up and say, can we have a conversation and have people. And again, when we say that, I hope you hear it too. It's not like even privately close to close. We, we, we raise it an octave or two in those public settings where all sorts of people around can hear us talk. Yeah. And you see it. Like yeah. Dan's and talking, sending. I look around and I see people listening from 20 feet away. Yeah. So there's a sense in which we're being a little public. We're letting everybody listen in. Yeah. Right? I just want to give you a feel for it since right. you can't see it. Everybody's listening in. 
Yeah. But we're not on a bullhorn yelling at people. Exactly. And those that want to, that's another part of the strategy that I've had. I've, I've, I've always, I'm always sensitive. I suppose there's, a, again, here's another strategy. There's a place to kind of step into somebody's world at a moment in time. Yep. And I understand that. But I also think that if I'm with my wife and kids and I'm in a setting someplace and I'm shopping or going someplace, um, there's something about that intrusion sometimes that seems, seems like it, just the intrusion could be offensive. Sure. And maybe you still should do it. Again, yeah. I'm not here totally critiquing that. But I've kind of wanted to create a setting where people are obviously know what we're doing and we tell people. Yeah. In fact, that's the other thing I would add here in just this ad lib where we're talking. We, we tell people, okay, we're Christians. When yeah. people ask, no, we're Christians. We're Christians. We, we're we're going to talk about. about this. We're not afraid of talking about that. But but the point is, is that we talk just loud enough that people can hear what we're doing yep. and that those that want to sit and listen can. Yep. At the same time, not trying to intrude into their world. Right. See, and there's a line there, and I don't know the perfect line. I'm not pretending that. I gave Sam early on kind of the analogy. Again, I'm an outdoorsman, and uh, you know, and I do fill my freezer with you know wild meat, and I do that sort of thing. And so, hope people aren't too uptight about that. But the point is, is that you got to be strategic, and you don't just go plow them into a situation. You kind of move your way in, whether it's fishing or or hunting or any of these types of things. Um, you kind of move in and you kind of keep te- testing the water until you're right at that point where maybe you, if you go one more step, you're too far. Mm-hmm. And you have to do that mm-hmm. in certain hunting situations and all sorts of things. And then, then you know, okay, it's the, only, the last afternoon and it's my last chance to hunt. I got to take the risk today. Yeah. But up to that point, you're, there's a cautiousness. Yeah. Uh, patience seldom goes unrewarded. In, and in and the, you, in the see that, you see that with Jesus too. Yeah, there, 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 there's an there's an initiative. You're taking yep. an initiative, but you're moving right up to a point. And again, I not that I pretend to know that, right? But that's what we're after. Yeah, we're saying how do we how do we get in the public square? How do we have this conversation? We're not being invited in, but we're going to create it, and we're going to push it right up to the edge, to the point where anybody in that whole area that wants to participate can. Yeah, and we found it to work. Yep, it worked. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, like you said, it's getting colder out. It's November now, and hopefully we'll find different avenues to, you know, get indoors to do this type of conversation. But, man, I'm looking forward to the spring when we can kind of like – I feel like we've done our, our pregame experimentation. Yeah, and right, yeah. we saw, experienced at work. God showed up, did something really cool in front yep, of us. Yep. And that hopefully this spring when the weather gets good again, we can really – see some sweet things go on yeah at KU but you well, know other, other well, people I are want doing to go, I want it'd be great to go beyond KU at some point oh right? exactly that's the thing yeah. once you get once you get your PhD done you've been here three months how much time do you need <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh my goodness you know <laughs> you know PhD studies they are interesting I you know you you have these these ideas maybe in your head of like what 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 is it like to do doctoral work and or even, you know, if you're doing working on your undergrad, what is it like to do master's work, you know, go at the graduate level? Yeah. And there really is a difference. Yeah. There really is. Every, diff- every stage. Is every different. stage is different. Yeah. There is a difference between high school and undergrad. Yep. And you ex- and if you've done your undergrad, you know, it. you've experienced yep. the difference yep. and expectations and the quality yep. of work and the, and the amount of work yep. you go from undergrad to graduate. Yep. There's a difference. Yep. Different expectation, how you write and yep. you know, all that type of stuff how much you read, uh, and then 
you get done with your I got done with my MDiv in May and then started yeah the, the PhD in August and it's it's at another level. Yeah. Isn't that something? It is something. And and you can get in your masters in your in your MDiv studies you you kind of think that you're at like another level like you are at another another by level. the way an mdiv study if people are known think of think in general in academics of just getting a master's degree and there's different types of masters right but in the theological realm there's 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 a thing you could you could get a master of arts in say theology or bible but then there's yeah. even another little step up called an mdiv it's yep, a master, master of, divinity, of divinity which is kind of the standard if you're going to be a pastor of most even significant denominations they want you to think through mdiv yeah, because it's both theological and biblical, and practical. it's got a level of practic- practicum, yeah. doesn't it? Like of you know, even Preaching, I would say marrying and marrying people. There's yep. there's a How sense which you learn you learn to be a you know a minister. Yep, exactly. Right? And it's they they usually um, a robust MDiv is going to be right around ninety to hundred credit hours. Yeah. So your typical undergrad. So three to four years. Yeah, three to four years on average. On top of a. Say a four-year bachelor degree, right? So I'm just thinking of the right, podcast. Right. Yeah, people so might just, not. yeah. So just now, the, now you PhD, you you've stepped beyond that. Yeah, yeah. So you're, yeah. Now you're beyond the Masters of Divinity, um, and into the into the PhD, and and how American PhDs work versus you know you, you people don't even really know this until you get into it, and I didn't know this until I started you know yeah, it's different researching. Than, it's different than Europe. Yeah, yeah, Europe. You like the the the. Th- what a PhD is really is you are writing a dissertation, which is you're arguing, um, in a sense, something new. You're offering something new to this field of knowledge or this discipline, yeah. uh, whether it's a new method, a new idea, a whole new concept, adding to the discussion, or to the body of knowledge on whatever you're doing your PhD in, whether right. it's in physics or mathematics or theology. So... You're adding something new to the conversation, even if it's minor. And, you know, usually it is minor because there's, at least in theology, there's been 2,000 years of of theological work done. So you kind of go, well, how on earth am I going to add anything new to it? But, you know, you'd be surprised at how you can can add one more pebble onto the the stack or one, you know, unique insight or unique method or, you know, all these different things. And you kind of learn that when you get into it. But but for the European PhD – your whole PhD is just your dissertation. So when you apply, so if I was to apply to Oxford or Cambridge or, or Durham or, or, or whatever, Aberdeen or whatever, like I'd basically be applying with a proposal of a dissertation. Mm. And I'd be kind of pitching a proposal to a certain, usually to a certain like scholar there. Yeah. You know, say I was going to do my PhD in Old Testament studies and there's an Old Testament scholar at at Oxford that I really want to study under. And so I would, in a sense, part of applying to Oxford would be like, Kind of pitching him, yeah. The proposal, like, w- it, would you want to? Would, would he tutor you? you would you, sense, yeah? Right? Would you be my su- supervisor in this? Right. And and that's kind of wrapped up in it. So that you need to know what you want to study on the front end, and then all you do is work on your P- on your dissertation in a European PhD. American PhD is different. You have the the dissertation, of course, but you have coursework beforehand, so you still take classes like you would in your your MDiv. Yeah. Not uh, as, technically not as many, but they're pretty, not as many, but, but they're, they're intense. Right, your typical undergrad graduate classes, three credits. Uh, these are all four credit classes. Yeah, uh, yeah, not as many, well, but and, and we keep joking, not as a braggart kind of thing. But you got to read read six over six thousand pages this fall. Well, that's the thing. Like I've just realized, it's crazy. 
like one class, yeah, six thousand pages of required reading, and and you need to have. And these are heavy, heavy, heavy yeah. people. Heavy. And, well, that's another Aquinas, thing. That's heavy another, people. That's another thing I realized is like even the books that you read, there's a different level. Yeah. There's a different depth. Yeah. Of, of just writing, like you go, oh, this is the deepest. Um. Anyway, all that to say, yeah, uh, doing the PhD now is it's fun. I love it. I love reading. I love writing. But even kind of bringing it full circle a little bit, even like. And some of you who know me kind of know what I what I want to do with my PhD. I really want to. I even say at the I write wrote this first paper that I'm about to turn in, and it's kind of like kind of the introduction to what I hope to do my dissertation on. And at the very end, the conclusion I kind of say like my big vision is to create a bunch of Schaefer esque Christians. Hmm. And what I mean by that, and we were talking about Schaefer, is Christians that have. Uh, they are they're in the best sense of the word activists yep. mean meaning they're active in in culture they're active in society they're active in a public witness of the gospel yep they're concerned about politics and civil society they're not retreatists they're not let's go hide in the woods and hide in the woods and and not talk to people and not interact yep. with the non-believer right like so activists, in the best sense of the word, um, we've kind of been saying about like semi-presuppositionalist, uh, and and I'm not going to unpack that all right now. But again, talking about you know the presuppositions of life, meaning, purpose, value, how, yep. what what is reality? Yep. What is reality? And kind of hitting on that type of stuff. Um, now, part of it too is premillennialists, and this is kind of my unique flair into it, like. Schaefer was a premillennialist. He was a type of presuppositionalist. Um, he was an activist in public life, uh, and and all that kind of bringing that together. <laughs> you know, it's remarkable. Okay, we're doing this podcast. We kind of got off here, but this is what's fun. So, so it's, Sam and I today are just kind of enjoying each other's friendship because, you know, before Sam was born. <laughs> I was reading Schaefer. Yeah. And anybody that gets around me knows, like, I've been kind of this Schaefer fan. Yeah. I refer to him all the time, not because I'm a Schaefer guru, and there's a lot I didn't know about him, but I was always fascinated with his thinking and his his uh, uh, his evangelism. Right. It really attracted me when I would read his stuff. I'm like, this guy not only is willing to go to the unbelieving world, but he's getting to the unbelieving world, and he's doing it in a thoughtful way. Where he's really addressing their stuff, yeah, and showing them that the gospel is the answer, right? And I was just fascinated by. It. I was just totally intrigued by the guy, yeah. And uh, so anybody that gets around me knows that when I talk about apologetics or I talk about worldview, which I do a lot, I've invited to preach and teach on that stuff a lot for the years. I'm always referring to Schaefer, yeah. So I found it remarkable when you came here. Because te technically, right, as you started this PhD, you weren't thinking. As, I mean, you you love some of the writings of Schaefer because you've been exposed to it, but you weren't thinking this PhD is tied to Schaefer. Is now literally in the last month? Well, a little bit earlier, but it. Uh, okay. Well, here I'll. I'm gonna grab a book off the shelf. So I was reading this book. Um, on survival and resistance in evangelical America. America, Christian Reconstructionism in the Pacific Northwest. So kind of a historical overview of Christian Reconstruction movement. Um, think of theonomy, you know, 
Bonson, Jeff Durbin nowadays, Doug Wilson, yep. those types of yep. guys. And I came across a quote or a, a statement that in this book, and it says, uh, let's see here. Francis Schaeffer, so I'm kind of jumping into the middle of a paragraph, so it's kind of out of context, but Francis Schaeffer, who was moving to combine his dispensational premillennialism and evangelical Calvinism with an interest in politics that was much stronger than the Lindsay and a call for social action that would lead eventually to his arguing for civil disobedience. So I read that and I go, oh man. That's exactly, in a sense, what I'm trying to do with my dissertation. Yeah. And I'm calling it theonomic premillennialism. And, it's, and you're realizing Schaefer was after the same thing. He was after the same thing. He didn't do a PhD on he it. He didn't do a PhD. But he, he wasn't, talked about he wasn't, it and a, was he wasn't an academic yeah. in the, in the in, technical sense. The technical sense, even though he's brilliant. Brilliant, guy. right. He was an evangelist. Yeah. So I read that and I go, oh, that's cool, because I had already had a love for yeah. Schaefer by it. By that point. And yeah. this is when I was first kind of thinking through dissertation ideas and what I wanted to try to do. Yeah. And and so then I'm kind of pitching some of these ideas in a group chat, a group discussion thing in my first uh, PhD class. And then my instructor goes, hey, you know, it, uh, like I didn't I didn't have anything. I didn't mention Schaefer once in any of these discussions or I didn't have yeah. him in a bibliography or anything like that. He said, hey, you should really look into Francis Schaefer with this <laughs> No, idea. you called me that day. Yeah. You were like, you're not going to believe it. And I go, yep. that's interesting. Even this guy, yep. this, yep. he's actually a pastor down in, in Texas, thought this sounds very Schaefer-esque. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is making me really this excited. This is wild, right? This is really fun. So, so here you end up by being here. Yeah. And we're doing this partnership thing. So could I could I bring it? I know it may sound like we got off, but here's what's interesting. Yep. All of this, for at least in our minds, for Sam and I, because we talk a lot about this, it all kind of fits together. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're That's the point. At. We are trying to be public with the gospel in a way that is, I, I don't want to even just call it scholarly, but it is thinking. It is helping people think these well, things through and confronting them, confronting them with the reality of the truths of God. Right. Because, and this gets into the presuppositional thing, is people actually know. Right. That's the point. God's fingerprints are on people. And there's a whole bunch they know. And when you point to that, it goes back to that thing we said earlier. They're obliged to believe. Meaning, I'm not saying you're coercing them into believing. They can only believe if God opens their eyes. Right. I got that. But obliged to believe is this idea, if I, if I understand Andy Wilson right, and I think I think I do. It's like, they don't have an escape hatch. Right. You've removed all the escape hatches. And then it, there again, you go back and read Schaefer. And he would do this, it was yeah. like taking the, take rope, the roof off. Take there the roof. He he wouldn't let it at some point, and then he had to be careful. He talks about in his writings being careful about taking the wolf off because it might destroy, it might crush him. You know, it's like, but that's is what you do. Well, it, it brings just quickly. I was doing some evangelism with a with a buddy from church at, in Kansas City. There's this big kind of farmers market yep. right in the heart of Kansas City called the River Market. It's really really cool spot. And we 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 were doing evangelism, and it was it was it was great. We had been probably doing it for an hour and a half at that point. And Just walking around talking to talking a few to people, people. Yep. Finding the right kind of people. And kind of yep. our opening question is, is, hey, what do you, I mean, we would get into it a little bit more uh, eloquently, but we would ask them the question, what do you think is, you know, the meaning of life? Do you think there's there's meaning in life? Yeah. And so we, this is, we were talking to these two girls and asked them that question and started to get, get into it and 
have some good dialogue and thought maybe this is going to go somewhere. And, and eventually, uh, I, th- I kind of throw, throw out the, you know, you're starting to slowly back them into a corner yep. and get them to oblige to a belief. Yep. And I threw out the, well, okay, let's just say like, uh, you know, somebody says like, you know, my, uh, my ultimate meaning in life is, is, is to become a serial killer. That just really fulfills me. I have this desire to kill people and, and I really need to pursue that. It's going to be really great. Like, do we have, can we, can we say objectively, nope, that's a bad meaning in life. And, and then eventually I finally got to Hitler and I said, you know, because these girls were admitting, yeah, that's bad. Like we shouldn't let people do that. Like there's something wrong with that. And yet they didn't want to overtly just say, there's an unobjective meaning, right? And there are some objectively bad meanings in life, right. and purposes in life. But then I finally said, like, okay, if, if God doesn't exist, because I kind of said that they didn't. One girl overtly said, "I don't believe in God," and she, the other girl said, uh, "I grew up in a religious home, but I left that." Yep. So she's basically saying she's maybe agnostic. I don't know. Uh, I finally said, "Well, okay, if God doesn't exist, then it doesn't matter what these people decide is their meaning or purpose in life and what they do." There's no justice. Mm-hmm. So I said, I brought up Hitler. I said, what about Hitler? His meaning in life, obviously at that point, World War II time was like eradicating the Jews and taking over the world and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And and he actually took his own life. He got to take his own life. He wasn't even brought to justice in, in the temporal sense. Yep. And there's no God, no life after death. He got off. No big deal, huh? No big deal, huh? Yep. That was his meaning. He got to do it, fulfilled it, you know, in a sense yep. for himself. Boom. Now what? And I kid you not, I threw that out there and the girl, one of the girls, the one who was kind of agnostic, pulled out her phone, me and my buddy watch her type in her passcode and then throw it up to her ear and then pretend like she's talking to her mom. And the other girl goes, is that your mom on the phone? And she goes, yeah, she's waiting for us. We got to go. And they quick scurry away. And so there it was. She was backed into a corner yep. where she did not, she knew. Yep. The way I think about wor- the world, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm cornered. Yep. I don't have the answers. These guys do. Right. So what did she do? She pulled yeah. a fake phone call. Yeah. You know. Yep. You know, pull the, pull the cord and, you know, you're out. Yep. So... That's kind of what we're getting at. Right. It's but like, it wasn't because you were, you know, jumping no, down a throat. No, we were having a really, really great conversation. Yeah, it was actually all, really yeah. fun. And yeah. they were enjoying it. Up to that point. Up to that moment. Sure. Where, yep. See, and that's the thing. At some point, I do understand, again, whatever anybody's he- hearing overall on this podcast is like, Jesus said they're not, people are going to reject the truth. Yeah. And they're going to hate you. Yeah. Just like they hate me. And I, I get that. Yeah. At some point. That, yeah. That, Yeah. But there's still something about helping a person yeah. obliged to believe yeah, yeah. and come to this place that they're, they're, they don't have any more excuses. The roof's been taken off, yeah. as Schaefer would say, right? Yeah. I love it. I just think it's, and I think providentially it's amazing that here God's brought you here and we've had all this ministry together in some other countries together and we've had this friendship and he's brought you here. And then when you started telling me about Schaefer, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. You know I mean? Just because of my exposure of the stuff really I've read over the years. And you started telling me this stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that that even in your PhD studies, you're landing in a certain place. It doesn't shock me. It's like, yeah. It's really interesting. It's really fun. So anyway. Yeah. So we are almost at an hour. 
we're going to wrap it up. Hopefully you enjoy this episode or enjoyed it if you made it all the way through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just us babbling on about evangelism and what we're doing in ministry. So, yeah. again, thanks for listening. Again, Dan and I are both evangelists of the Ambassadors of Christ International. You can visit our website. We're actually in the middle of getting a new website. It's yeah, we're, we'll, we're, we hope to have some of this. We've been running cameras on this open yep. area evangelism. Yep. So even in spring, we hope, I mean, even in the winter, there might be a few clips. But yep. we hope to get more and more of this up that you can see us interacting with people. Yep. Which you'll learn. We've had some Christians who would say, "Man, we're really learning a boatload." Yeah, just you've said it. It's almost a training for Christians to hear how you can answer these sorts of questions and yep. have these conversations. Yep, exactly. So, yep, you can visit our website afci.us. Um, if you want to donate to our ministry, you can do that as well. But again, just thanks for listening. And if you want to leave a, a rating on Apple Podcasts, do that as well. So, thanks for listening and have a good day. Bye.